where we as a church are going to talk for four Sundays about the reality that each one of us have to do something incredibly significant for God. If we know Christ, if we have encountered the reality of Jesus, um, there is something that's in our hands, if you would, which we can um, and, and enter into and engage and participate in whereby God will use us to change the lives of people. Now, it might sound like, whoa, what, I got to go to North Korea? No, you don't have to go to North Korea. What we are called to do, I believe, and what we're going to talk about over these four weeks is about the people of Jesus in this place learning how and then sharing their story of him with others. Now, that's, that's, that doesn't sound dramatic, but I'm telling you there is huge potential for the kingdom of God if we, as the people of Jesus, just take the calling that he's given to us and enter in. Uh, learn how to tell our stories. We'll teach you how. And, of course, discover the power of story. I want to begin this morning by talking about why the, 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 the stories that we have, why story is powerful in the kingdom of God. You know, first and foremost, and I hope you'll recognize this, recognize this really quickly, the whole Bible is a story. Whose story is it? God's story, right? We spent nearly the last year talking about the story, and I hope that you've learned to verbalize this really quickly and well also, and I'll just scan it for you in a way that you could for some people sometime if, if they're interested. But there's the beginning of the story of creation where God created Adam and Eve, humanity, and he was in relationship with them, and they had this incredible relationship of love. And then, of course, came the fall where sin entered into the world and broke that relationship and just destroyed so much of what God had created. God got busy with the following creation. Capture these words in your mind. And then following the fall, he got busy with redemption. Formed the nation of Israel, and out of the nation of Israel came the person of Jesus and the, his death on the cross and his resurrection. Salvation became a possibility and a reality. And then at the end of the story, and we're participating in this now, ever since the church was formed, God has been all about restoration, leading this world through his people, by his truth, by the work of his spirit and grace, for this world to become what he always intended it to become. And we are participating in that as the church of Jesus. You know, that's a story, and from beginning to end, the story of God is told in a powerful way. You know, the reality is that we, and we've talked about this also, have a lower story to play. God has an upper story, and then we have a lower story that we can engage that reality with. Um, and there are lots of stories in the Bible that describe that. And think of the word stories, the story of Adam and Eve, the story of Abra Noah, and the story of Abraham and Sarah, and the story of King David, and the story of King Solomon, and on it goes, the story of Jesus. They're all what? Stories. You know, it's a remarkable thing that God, and I want you to hear this, and I want you to understand this to the core of your being, God has communicated his truth through stories primarily. The large portion of the Bible is storytelling, and that's how God works. Think of this story of Jesus, what we call the gospel, right? God came into the world. God lived and breathed and walked among us and told us about our relationship with the Father. Jesus died on a cross, and he rose. It's a story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels are all about story. In those Gospels, Jesus created 46 parables, stories made up in order that he might communicate truth. I want to tell you, my friends, this is the means of God communicating with the world. And I want to tell you, as God communicates his truth through stories, he can communicate his truth through your story and mine. You believe it? Yeah. Yeah. 
I want to read, um, I want to read Proverbs 18.21 to you. This is a verse I've just I've bumped into lately, and I, and I want to uh, you know, bring to the service today. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. There's consequences when we use the tongue in either direction. The tongue, your words, my words, have the, note the word, power of life and of death. And we can use that power, and as we speak our stories, we can speak blessing and goodness and healing and salvation into the lives of people. Or we can speak death. The choice is ours. And I want to tell you this morning, my friends, our vision as a church is that we can help all of those people here who claim to be followers of Jesus and who have a story to tell. We want to enable you to tell it to anyone who might listen to you. So over four weeks, we're going to jump into this. So number one, God communicates truth through stories, and he's willing to communicate it through our story. That has always been the case, but I want to tell you today, especially in this culture, that is the reality. Stories are powerful in our culture. Um, we live in, a, in an age that's described as a postmodern age. I grew up at the tail end of modernism, and now we're in postmodernism. And the language of our culture is story. The way people are impacted, the way people come to believe what they believe, the way people come to understand what truth is, is through story, whether it's really true or not. And I'm going to give you one word that will absolutely clarify this reality to you in a second, and the word is Netflix. Right? How many of you have Netflix in your homes? Or Crave, or, you know, you know whatever the case might be. People love stories that are displayed before them, um, in, in, in movies. Um, it's just a dynamic reality of our world. See, I grew up in the Dark Ages, modernism. You know, before postmodernism came modernism. Um, and in that reality, um, science reigned. You know, truth was observed only one way. Truth we could apparently come to understand only in one way by, through observable, repeatable observation. You could do that, you could arrive at truth. This stuff about revelation in scripture, that doesn't lead you to truth, that's just superstition, right? And in that era, in order to, um, so we thought, in order to really communicate the truth of God, we had to engage people with rational arguments. We had to give them proof. We had to give them evidence in order for them to believe. Anybody relating to this? Those of you who are maybe middle-aged and up? Do, do, do any of you remember a two-volume work by a guy called Josh McDonald entitled Evidence That Demands a Verdict? Yeah. Like, they're like 500 pages each. And listen to the title, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. In other words, I'm going to give you the evidence, and it, I'm, it's going to demand out of you, the non-believer, a conclusion. You have to draw a conclusion based on the evidence that I give you. Rational, logical reasoning was what we were told, or we thought, we had to engage with people in order for them to really come to believe. And I want to tell you, that's why many people, certainly in my generation, grew afraid of sharing Jesus and to share our faith because we thought we didn't know enough in order to do that well. I'm not Josh McDowell, we would say, essentially. I don't know all the evidence and the argumentation that, that, that does exist for the Christian faith. And I'm afraid of getting out there and getting in an argument with people I might not have the answers for. You know, they might be smarter than me. They might be more informed than me. And probably that's always the case, right? So please don't ask me to engage in that. That's a scary proposition. We used to believe that you had to be an expert in order to share our faith in the world. 
And I'm here to tell you today that is no longer the case. Thank God. In the world of postmodernism, all we need to do is share our story because people don't want logical argumentation. As a matter of fact, if you do that, they're feeling like you're pressing something upon them and they just react to it negatively. But they want to hear your experience of God because as they hear your stories, they will come to understand your truth, your reality. I want to watch you to watch this video. And I want to see how it communicates in kind of a fun way the reality that thinking that we need to be an expert really doesn't work anymore. Watch this. Oh, help. Can you help me, please? I'm stuck. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I have zero experience in lumberjacking. Thank God you're here. Can you make some food? I've been stuck here for six days, and all I've had to eat are two pine cones. Well, I'm not a nutritionist, so I wouldn't know what someone in your condition would do. Do something! Uh, do what? I'm, I'm not a zoologist. There's a gun in the tent. Get the gun. I don't have a license. I've never operated... Uh, Look, just throw a rock or something. I'm not a geologist. I don't know which one would be most effective. Oh, I, I don't want to die. I don't even know if I'll get into heaven. Do you at least know how to get into heaven? Well, actually, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a theologian, so I wouldn't really know what to say to you. But, you know, if you ever get out of here, you really should look into it. <laughs> Oh, he's coming! Run! But I have no formal training in long-distance running! <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want you to know... <laughs> All right. Honestly, on, this is going to have to... This will jar people, I think. We need a paradigm shift. You do not have to be an expert in order to effectively share your faith with people and to have God use you in a significant and powerful way. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know the Bible from beginning to end. You know what you need to know? Is your story. And I want you to know that nobody knows your story better than who? You. Well, God does. But he's going to help you with this. And he'll enable you to form this thing that can have potential, great potential in the lives of other people. Great potential for impact for God. Today what I want to do is talk to you about a story that comes to us uh, in the New Testament. And um, as many of you will know already, you'll be looking at this story uh, in your life groups this week and, and digging into it further and beginning to unfold the reality and in time write your own stories. We're going to teach you how to do that. But I want to read to you the story of what's called uh, the woman at the well from John chapter 4. It's a, a real story. Uh, Jesus essentially leads this woman to faith through his interaction with her. Um, and uh, then what I want us to focus on particularly today is to see what she does with her story with her encounter with Jesus. It's really cool. A couple of things I want you to notice just before we jump in. Number one, and as I read the story, pick up on this, I won't mention a ton going forward, but number one, Jesus is entirely focused on sharing his faith. How many here are Jesus followers? You know, lots of hands go up, obviously. And I've been hitting this one, and I'm going to keep talking about it. A Jesus follower is someone, of course, who believes in Jesus, but seeks to think like him and value things which he valued and desire the things which he desired and to live like him, form their life in the same way Jesus formed his life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. 
Not just to believe in your head that he's the son of God. That's a good beginning point. But Jesus was entirely focused on reaching out to this woman, really in, um, uh, to, to, to see her come into the kingdom of God and become a believer. Number two, he was incredibly intentional about what he did. Um, some of you might know this, but in this culture that the story arises from, Jews did not talk to Samaritans. That becomes clear, as I, it will become clear as I read it to you. Number two, men did not talk publicly to women. That was just like, you know, a taboo. It just didn't happen. But Jesus literally had to, and I put in quotes, step out of the box in order to reach this woman, to allow her to engage him and come to believe. Um, uh, a very, very, very cool way. And we can do the same in both these regards. We can be focused and we can be intentional, step out of our own box as need be. But number three also, this woman, listen to me, she needed an experience of Jesus that she might share, which ultimately she does. She needed this encounter with Christ so that that encounter became her story. So let me begin to read this to you. John chapter 4, verses 4 to um, 26. This is what it says. He, Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Where was their focus? <laughs> On their belly, right? Uh, Jesus had a different focus. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if, only, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon, be, will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling, a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from, through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
Jesus, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Um, there was that woman's experience of Christ. That was lived experience which in time, very soon in the story, as we'll see, becomes the story which she would tell. We're going to talk about this more later, but do you have a story with Jesus? Have you had an encounter with him that has just awed you, left you amazed at the reality of what this son of God has accomplished in your life, done for you? I want to suggest to you, if you are his, you have a story to tell. Sometimes it's in greater measure, sometimes it's in lesser measure, but my friends, we need the encounter of Christ. That's the beginning place. Well, the story goes on. The question then becomes, what will she do with the story that she now has to tell? Let me read 27 to 29. Just then, his disciples came back. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left uh, her water jar beside the well, note this word, and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. <laughs> Could he possibly be the Messiah? See, what this woman does, having essentially encountered the reality of Jesus, is that she ran back to engage the people that she knew and she loved, her community, to tell her about what she had found of Christ, to tell her about her experience of Jesus, to tell them her story. Now, it's probably told in far greater detail than what we have in this chapter. I don't imagine she just spoke, you know, a dozen or so words. But she went and she was eager that they might know that she had encountered something remarkable in the person of Jesus. That was her story. Notice again, my friends, please. <laughs> this is not theologically focused. This isn't an expert describing who the Messiah is or Old Testament biblical understanding. This is just her experience of Jesus. What was the result? I'm going to read you verse 30 and then verse 39. It says this, So the people of the town that she lived in, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. And then verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. My friends, like, there it is. This is what happens when the people of Jesus share their stories and they communicate the truth of God, the reality of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus to people who don't know him. Here is the reality of a woman using her tongue to bring life into the lives of the people she knows. You know what emerges here essentially is the role this woman played. Did you notice it? Do you see it? She becomes literally a connection point between Jesus, whom she has just encountered, and the people uh, who, who are her friends and acquaintances. She very literally is that connection with Jesus. Um... I want to tell you this. There are two roles that unfold in this, in, in this story for us. Things that we are called to play. Number one, <clears throat> it is that point of being connection. I want to say right here, and I want everybody to get this really clearly. We are not called to convert people. I can't convert people. You can't convert anybody. That is a complete impossibility. Only God can change the heart of a person and draw them to himself here, that person to himself. It's not our job to do that. We simply are storytellers who share our experience of Jesus, and we leave the rest to God. 
We tell people what Jesus has done for us. We tell people <clears throat> the things that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf that has just left us in awe. And we leave that to the work of the Holy Spirit to transform the minds and the hearts of the people who have heard the story. There's a second role that this woman plays. And it's defined for us in her words when she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see. So on the one hand, we're storytellers. I want to tell you, secondly, our role in, in this whole dynamic is to become inviters. You see, this woman invited her friends, her, 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 her acquaintances, anybody who would listen, to come and connect with this incredible man. And we can do that in lots of ways. We can tell our story, and when we find receptivity, we talked about this earlier in the summer, that person of peace that's talked about in Luke chapter 9. When we see people who are ready to listen and are interested and want to know more, we can say, come and see. Come and see this man who has done such remarkable things in my life. How do you invite someone to come and see? Well, you can invite them into your life if they're not there already. Because as they encounter you, they're going to encounter the spirit of the one who dwells within you, Right? They're going to start to encounter the reality of the presence of Jesus because he is in us. You can invite people into your homes. And we've talked a little bit about this before, but this ministry of hospitality where we invite people into a place where the kingdom reigns, where the values of the kingdom are lived out with grace and with love and with joy. And they can encounter Jesus there. We can invite them into our life groups. It's a fantastic way to invite people in to experience the presence of Jesus. And of course, on a Sunday morning, we can invite people to this place where we hope and we pray with all of our hearts they'll encounter the Lord. So I want to ask you this morning to start to think of yourself as a storyteller and as an inviter. Because as you do that, I want to, I want to say, based on the authority of this, the, the Word of God, the Bible, God will enter into that process and God will work and people will come to know the reality of the one whom we have come to know already. I want to uh, show you something um, that um, I love. I love. You're going to hear more of this as this series goes on in, in these next four weeks, but I want you to listen to this story. My name's Alexandria. Uh, people usually call me Alex. Growing up, I was not a Christian. Um, me and my family, we didn't know what to believe in. Um, we did explore religion, but we never really found a place where we belonged. Before I met Jesus, I was in a very dark place in my life. Um, I was being emotionally abused and emotionally neglected by someone who was supposed to um, care about me and love me. And as a kid, that really um, messed me up on an emotional level. I began to feel worthless and just not cared about. And I felt hated and I felt like I annoyed everyone with just my existence. And I developed depression and I began to have suicidal thoughts between the months March and July 2016, I made um, three suicide attempts. It, it felt awful. I just, I felt so alone. Um, 
I felt like I wasn't cared about. And I felt like I was just gonna have to suffer with this for the rest of my life. When I started going to school in Inner Kip, um, I met two girls and they were stoners and they would pressure me to do weed with them. And I was, I was down with that because in my mind I, I didn't have a future. The weekend that I um, decided I was going to do drugs with my friends, I actually went to IPC and I know it's kind of weird because I'm thinking like, I'm going to do drugs with my friends. Then I'm gonna go to church. <laughs> I know that's a little weird, but the only reason why I went to church was because I was I was really bored. But coming here actually really it really changed me. Um, when, like I said, when I came here, it just astonished me to see how the people were, um, and that kind of drew me back to keep coming every week. And I did decide that I wasn't going to do drugs with my friends. So don't worry, I never did drugs. Um, but I was really close, really, really close to. Um, but I eventually got involved with the senior youth group. And my faith just kept growing and growing. Like I went from um, God hates me, I don't like God, to God is my life, you know? like. It just, it really changed me. My faith in Jesus um, grew to the point that I went to an overflow youth conference. And on the last day there, I actually gave my life to Jesus. And things just kept getting better from there. I stopped seeing the hardships in my life as punishments. and. Things just got so much better for me. My depression, my anxiety, like everything just got so much better. Even though I'm still a very broken person, um, I still have huge insecurities and just, um, just troubles with socializing and because I believe that everyone doesn't really want to talk to me or that I annoy everyone in a way I am getting much better you know slowly but but surely <laughs> the biggest thing that I learned in my experience is that God is is good um, he put us in this world for a reason he did not put us in this world to watch us commit suicide or to just struggle for our whole lives he did put us in this world for a reason and he's here to help heal us and just help us every step of the way and we are never alone. <clears throat> Is Alex here? Is Alex here? Is Alex with us? She's in the nursery serving. Hey, a life transformed, huh? Um, how many of you just experienced the power of story? Right? How many of you felt a connection with Jesus? How many of you here heard the truth of Scripture in a new way?
in a beautiful way. See, my friends, there's something about storytelling, and we need to thank Alex when we see her. I was going to do it now. Um, there's something about the power of story that can change a life. And I want to say it again. Every single one of us who knows and loves Jesus has a story to tell. And we have this potential that's placed in our hands by the Lord himself to help other people come to know him. You know, the last point I want to make this morning from the story of the woman at the well, John chapter 4, and if you want to take the points and apply it to Alex's life, you can. But I want us to realize what this woman and Alex left and what they moved toward. You know, the woman at the well, can I say it this way, was living under the destructive power of sin. Um... Bible says sin rules in our lives. It is our master until we are freed from it by God in Christ. She was living a life of brokenness and woundedness, both individually and relationally, obviously. You know, tossed about from one man to another. That's essentially what's being described here. When one man got tired of her, he just got rid of her, and then another man used her, and then he got rid of her, and another man used her, and he got rid of her. He's, she's on her sixth man. He, you can't call that anything other than abuse. She was probably living, although we don't know it, a life of shame and of deep regret and of hurt. But when she encountered Jesus... What did she move to? She moved into a life of the grace and the mercy of God and forgiveness. She moved into a life of healing and a life of hope and a life of joy. Her encounter with Jesus led her to a place of no longer feeling shame, but knowing that she had worth and she had dignity and she had a deep and abiding love because she had become a precious child of God. My friends, do you see the potential of what God has given to us through an encounter with Jesus? I want you to do three things as you go from here today. I'll invite you to do this. Number one, I would invite you to go to God in prayer and say, Lord, I want you, I'm asking you, Lord, to place on my heart and in my mind three people for whom I can start to pray. Three people who don't know you, that maybe I can be part of their life transformation. And then just get into the presence of God day after day and pray for those people, trusting that God will move. Number two, I want you to write your story and learn to speak it. That's what the life group process is all about over these weeks. This is not hard to do. This is not scary. Nobody knows your story better than you. We don't want stories that are more than three or four minutes. They need to be brief because a lot of people need it briefly told to them. So if you're not in a life group, we'll say it again. Get into one. And go sign up at our Welcome Center. Give us your name. We'll find a group for you. We'll create one. doesn't matter. But learn to write your story. And if you're not in a life group, just listen to what's said on the coming Sundays and write it on your own. And speak it, get comfortable with it. 
So that number three, as we ask God to provide opportunities for us to share our stories and for the courage to speak them, we will see ourselves in those places where God is at work. As people hear about the truth and the reality and the beauty of Jesus and what it looks like, what it means to be in a relationship with him. You know, Jesus in this text said, if you knew the gift that God had for you, speaking to the woman, it's a gift, it's precious. And his gift is what we have to give. My friends, um, what we envision for our future is a church which is filled with hundreds of people. I'm guessing probably three to 400 people at IPC could become storytellers and inviters. Simple. Storytelling and inviting so that people like the woman at the well, so that people like Alex, so that people that you're going to hear about in coming weeks will, will encounter Jesus in a way that will transform their lives. So my question for you as we wind up here today is very simply, um, who wants to be a storyteller and who wants to be an inviter? Who wants to be used by God in the way that this woman was used by God to tell others so that many, many people left a life dominated by the destructive power of sin so that they could move into a life of healing and of joy and of grace and of mercy and of dignity and of worth. See, we've got a vision here, right? You know that. It's written into our, read it on the wall, second last sentence. <laughs> where we will be a people who are passionate, who are focused and intentional as Jesus was focused and intentional. We are people who have so encountered the Lord Jesus that we're left going, oh my goodness. And thus of a story to tell that will make impact. So that we become people who are ready when the opportunity is presented for which we have prayed. When God just places that opportunity before us, we say, can I tell you my story? Hello, my name is Chris, and this is what my encounter of Jesus has been. Will you think about it, IPC? Will you pray about it? Will you consider carefully becoming a storyteller and an inviter? If you will do that, God will use you, and God will use us, and you know we will have hundreds, that's the vision, hundreds of Alex's, who will be able to tell their story about what God has done for them. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your story. It's an incredible thing that you have described in the book about what you have been engaged in from the beginning of creation until the day Jesus returns. Um... And we thank you that we can be a part of it. And that being part of your story, Lord, is us learning to share our story. So God, I pray for the, these people gathered here today, for our whole congregation, Lord, that you will place in our hearts a passion and an eagerness to tell our stories to people um, who don't know you. I pray, Lord, over these weeks that we will learn not only how to write, but how to speak our story with effectiveness. Be with us in our life groups, God, and be at work there. But God, even more than that, our heart's desire, our deepest prayer is that you will give us opportunities to share your truth with precious people 
who need Jesus. So Lord, uh, move in our hearts, move in our lives, move in our church. God, enable us to become people, to think about ourselves who are storytellers and inviters. And then, Lord, enter into the lives of people who are precious to you. Save them. Allow them to know what we have come to know of Jesus. My God, this we pray in Jesus' name.